Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Uncommon Life Project where I am your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Uncommon Life Project. We are super grateful that you are tuning in. Thanks for the feedback that you guys have been giving us. I'd say people, folks. I say guys a lot. I need to stop that. Uh, folks have been listening to you. That's really encouraging to us. And I, I, I know you guys are getting a lot out of it. So that's helpful to us. So this episode... Big time. Big time. And here's why. Because at the end of the rainbow, you always got to have a pot of gold. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about the 800-pound gorilla retirement income. Dum, dum, dum. Love it. We've got to start adding music. We got to get Because some. I can't be the one anymore. Right. <laughs> like, my sound is horrible. But anyway, here's, uh, if you've, this is your first time tuning in, uh, Brian and I are financial advisors with a little different slant on life. And what we really think and like we live and breathe this is we believe that our clients are their best assets. Um, Wherever you're at, you're valuable, you have gifts, and we want to try to pursue those. We want to try to bring those out of our clients. And and once we do that, we'd like to maybe follow suit with your money. (laughs) Start aligning your money with what you're excited about. And this is where the traditional retirement, I think, is where people lived. Like, what do you want your life to be like? when you retire? And really, that's a really good question to figure out what you're excited about. Because Mm -hmm. chances are you're going to be working or you're going to be doing stuff. You're going to be engaging, even if it's like going out to golf every day. Well, for me, that's a grind and there's no (laughs) way I do that, right? Like You're good for about eight holes. Eight holes at best. Uh, And then then it's it's just like drudgery for me. Well, but for other people, it isn't, right? And so what we want want to try to do is really unpack that uh, gift and excitement level that people have And then we try to pursue that with their own money. So I would say that we should probably talk about three different patient types as we will. I was a pharmaceutical rep. I go to patient types, but client types and kind of start bucketing these people a little bit. So the first one we're going to talk about um, is the person uh, from zero to 60 that have been like really pooling up and saving in retirement accounts that could be 401ks, 403bs. Uh, but they have been working someplace and then putting money on the side and and just saving money over time and letting the market do what the market does. Um, and then they're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's let's let's just say that's patient type one. Okay. Patient type number two is a person that has a side hustle, but also has another full-time job and has a retirement account. So kind right. of three tranches. I'd say that person is dabbled into like one of the seven sources. Mm. They have a rental property. They've, okay. they've tasted rental income or yeah, they have a side hustle. They've got a food truck or I don't know. You know, like they have other income yep. outside the main day job. Perfect. Thanks for the clarification. And then the the fourth is third. Yeah. I'm sorry, the third C <laughs> uh, will be uh, 
the person that really doesn't have a retirement account and has put all their effort and energy on the seven sources of residual income or just starting yeah. businesses. Like basically, like they're that. not doing the stock market. <laughs> they're on the we have clients path. like that. Oh, yeah. buddy. I mean, yeah. they're full on business owners, real estate. They think the stock market is a little bit of a hoax. Yep. Uh, we can unpack that more in the podcast. But yeah, they're, they're all in on the other side. And no matter where you're at, it's not wrong. Right. It's just where you're at. So we're going to take you where you're at. We're going to give you cast some vision to moving forward. And I think the reason that we're trying to approach this conversation this way is because even the person, I would just say on the left or, you know, uh, person C, I would say person C, even if like you never invest in the stock market, you're still going to have to deal with social security, Medicare, inflation. Good point. Um, You know, do you want life insurance or do you want long-term care insurance? Like some of these different things. And I'm not saying everyone has to buy those things, but these are decision points that you're going to have to choose and make a decision on as you age. And so it's that melding of like kind of the conventional financial planning that we're hearing so much about on TV versus what we're trying to spread the message at to is the seven sources. There's so many different ways to make money and build wealth outside of the stock market. But as you age and you come to that critical point of like, I don't you know, know if I want to do all this anymore. I've built this thing up and now I'm going to live off of it. These, these decision points are going to meld together no matter what, how you approached it from the get-go. Uh, you're going to have to start dealing with some of these factors. And that's what we want to highlight are these decision points and variables. I also want to address something very obvious right now. Normally, Brian and I like to do a 25-minute podcast and try to talk as fast as we can like I'm doing now. But instead of doing that, we are going to slow down and walk through this because this is kind of a big deal. It's a huge deal. So this is going to be a long one. It's going to be a longer one. We're going to try to keep it concise and uh, we're going to try to give you right hooks all the time. But it could be a little wordy. So (laughs) we'll apologize now. So let's get into it. Let's talk about A, one or patient type number one. Uh, this is a person that has had a day job and has been not grinding, but yeah. uh, maybe they, loving their life. Yeah, they enjoyed their career, corporate America. They're rewarded. But I'll say you this, know. that they've never had their money work for them up to this point. Like they've never From, had to live off of their money. Right. Yep. I think, you know, when you look at investing in the stock market and this, this uh, you know, patient type as we're calling it, They've seen their money work because it's like, oh, my 401k is way up right now. Yeah. You know, we're shooting this at basically the, the all-time high of the stock market. So they've seen it that way. But now when you transition to retirement, you're going to income, not Getting necessarily income, growth. And so for that thing. those things are different. And so that's where, the, that's where the maybe tension lies for that person is like, how does my money keep going up and how do I take from it? Without running out. Absolutely critical point. And so I call this a big curb. <laughs> They've got a big curb that they need to figure out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And it's now getting income off of the money they've accumulated. Right. Um, and for this analogy, we use kind of like the uh, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. when he's looking over that chasm and he can't see anything. In theory, there should be a board there. Yeah. Yet he hasn't done it. And so that leap of faith or that step out mm-hmm. is going to be a little scary. Right. Um, but it, it is where people are at. And so to talk through that is important. Yeah. I want to make that really clear. And what we're saying is scary is like, let's just say you're making, I don't know, $7,500 a month, like net hitting your bank account from your job or 10,000. It doesn't really matter. And, but you've never really gotten income any other way other than working. And now you're looking at stop working. <laughs> and so your money needs to go from basically zero 
to 7,500 or whatever you decide is your income need in retirement, you're, you're trying to bite all of that off in the first month. Yep. Cause there's no real other income coming in. Uh, we'll get into social security and pension income and maybe that is a segue, but that's a big step to take for a lot of people. It is. And so I will say this before we just dive into this one current, I'd say client, this is consistent over all three, A, B, and C, one, two, and three. It's budget. What is it that mm-hmm. you need to live off of every month? That's pretty important to know. Right. And if you don't know it, the person that is in A or, or patient type number one, that's scary for Brian and I to enter into. Right. Because if they say, yeah, I need 7,500, but they actually need $9,000, that's, that's a big difference. And we're talking about over the course of 30 potentially 30 years, right? that's a huge uh, problem. Right. But that could be a huge problem for all of these uh, cases. And so um, knowing your budget is, is absolutely critical. right? And I think the other variable that's important that you talk about is if you can tell me what you need a month and then when you're going to graduate or when you're going to pass away, I'll give you the best retirement plan. <laughs> We're going to nail it. <laughs> nail it. And so if you don't have both of those key variables understood and known, and one of them you just can't. Right. So you got to at least get 50% of that equation and you should be pretty spot on. Right. Or else your retirement's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. And so that's consistent over all three. Right. So, and I think to go to patient type B or number two, the person that has, let's just say like two rental properties, and they have some, you know, 401k, 403b retirement assets. Person A is going to have social security. Hopefully, maybe they have a pension, maybe not. Most, I'd say it's probably, I think from our clients, maybe 30, 40% have a pension. Yeah, I'd say um, 30, more yeah. closer to 30. Not many people have Not pensions. Not many. Um, and so that person in the middle is really great because they've probably, their budget's a little tighter because they're running some sort of side hustle and they got to keep track of their numbers. They're used to, producing income on their own. That chasm is not as big back to our Indiana Jones. And then they're going to have social security and, you know, maybe their spouse has a pension or something like that. And then the person C from what we typically see is, you know, they, they're typically, I want to say control freaks, but you know, they've done it on them. They've done it on their own for so long. They really don't trust people like us, but they have to make some of these decisions. And so it's hard for them to cross over to like, well, I don't trust any of this stuff because I've never, you know, I've never really done it. You know, obviously they probably had health insurance, so they go on yeah. Medicare, but, uh, and, but they'll have some form of social security. And the funny and thing so, is they look at social security like a bonus. Right. It seems like right. for the most part, we're probably generalizing some things, but. But I wanted to frame that in. So yeah. And then the two biggest variables to all three is how much money do you need a month? And do you really know that number? And have you really flushed out like, Hey, I want to go to Europe or I want to go to Hawaii or, you know, being honest with yourself with those things. And then when are you going to graduate? Yep. And I want to pivot here because we did create an outline for this because it's such a big topic, but I want to throw one in here. The other thing that we've seen, and a lot of other advisors echo this, um, retirement is really broken up into three phases. And when you're looking at retirement in the context of America today, you really, you're really looking at retiring in your mid-60s Statistically, right now, one, if you're married, you have a 50% chance that one of you, your you know, wife or you, um, is living into your 90s. So, I mean, you're really talking about living for 30 years in this 
retirement space. And that is broken up into three phases. We call it the go-go phase. You know, typically you're healthy, you got a pile of money, you want to go do stuff. I want to travel, I want to go see the grandkids, I want to see Mount Rushmore, whatever. Next is kind of go slow. So you're either in probably your, you know, mid to late 70s. Everybody's different. I'm not trying to put anybody in a box here. Maybe mid 80s, but you're slowing down. You don't want to get on that plane. You don't want to get on that boat for the cruise. (laughs) You're more, you know, locally, geographically, you know, you don't want to go out basically as much as you used to. And then the last phase is the no go. Like you're, you're not really going anywhere. You know, you're, you're kind of in the last phase. And so in that, we're trying to take all these variables into account for each one of our clients as as we craft kind of like a a plan, an income plan. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to kind of phase those, look at those three phases and uh, and look at the fact that 30 years is a long time. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about, and we've touched on it a little bit in this time, is the guaranteed income for almost all three of these. Right. But there are social security. If you have a pension. Right. And then normally you have some type of investments, even if it's rental properties, you got investments that right. you're going to be pulling income off of. Yeah. Um, so, so in just trying to walk through our process, high level, it's typically, you know, getting to know you, we have a get to know you meeting. And then it's like starting to get your numbers. Most people, you know, it's great for them to like go through a budget. Cause a lot, I'd say six or seven out of 10 people are like, I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> And so it's more of an exercise. And then a lot of people, you know, are dialed in on it and they know exactly what they, they need because they've been thinking about it for a while. Yeah. Um, and then it's starting to go through, okay, what are your, what does your social security statement say? Yeah. Uh, we use uh, a system software and a group that basically can model each person's social security options out because everybody is different. And if you think about it, like once you hit social security age, you could literally file almost every day. So there's just so many different filing strategies, depending on if you're married, if you're widowed, if you're remarried, if you're divorced and remarried, they're just, it's crazy. So we're not saying we're experts in that. We go and take you to an expert to help you look at all of your different options. Mm -hmm. So that's good. And just pensions, they they are what they are. Um, Some people like really like them. Other people are very skeptical of the business that they're getting those pensions from. Mm -hmm. And so that's also a variable that you have to take into account. Uh, and then we have investments to cover the gap between social security and pension and what you need to live off of. Right. So that's kind of the chasm. I think this would be good to like, so patient type A yep. is going to have social security to hopefully, you know, if they're married, their spouse has social security. Okay. And then maybe there's a pension in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like your foundation. Yep. And let's just say that adds up to five grand a month, Perfect. but you need 7,500. So really, there's no other rental properties or anything like this for patient A. And all those are taxed, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> all those are taxed. And uh, so then we got to say, hey, from your investments, we need, you know, on a net basis, $2,500 a month. So on a gross basis, it's going to be more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just the basics of how we kind of frame this in. It's not really rocket science yet. So patient B would be those same income streams, you know, Social yep. Security, hopefully a pension. And then maybe they I like, let's just keep using a rental property because it's like, they're used to that. They're probably not going to sell it. They got it figured out. And then you have that. And now we need maybe only, let's just say you have $500 a month from a rental property. Now we only need 2000 net from your investments as opposed to the 2,500. And then option C is the guy is like, well, I'm still going to just keep doing this, but I might need Medicare. He's got 75 or 10 grand coming in a month. 
he doesn't really maybe need all these different things. Uh, he's not looking for his investments to close some sort of income gap yet. So, yeah. If he does, then he has to make something really efficient. Right. <laughs> quickly. Okay. So I think we can go to the philosophies of retirement income in this phase. Right. It would be helpful because there's different philosophies that advisors will use. Right. And it's fun just to talk through each one of them and why sure. they are what they are. Right. And I think it's been interesting for us because it's <laughs> each client comes to us almost with their own philosophy or they're reading stuff online. And it's like, well, I thought I would just do this. And it's like, well, you can do that. But like, are you going to do that yourself? Or yeah. do you want us to do that? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's part of that. Um, so the, the first main philosophy that I think was really, um, you know, crafted out of, and I, I just want to take one quick step back. When you look back at the 40s, the 50s and 60s, Social Security was created in the United States in the 1930s uh, for the Great Depression. And in large part, those, those companies back then had pensions. Um, we had sound money, like our dollar was backed by gold, all these different things. And so they didn't need a lot of money from their investments. Like that was a large portion of their income. Now the, the script has flipped where Social Security and some of these guaranteed incomes is becoming a lesser portion of people's income need. Yes. And they're needing to rely more on the, on the residual income or the investment income. So the philosophy like that we want to touch on first was systematic withdrawal, which I think in large part was started by a lot of the mutual fund companies that says, hey, if you own these mutual funds with us, you can pull off four to 5%. And the, over time, we've historically been able to grow at that rate. And you could just, you know, basically live off the egg. You know, if you got a golden goose, you're just living off the egg. You could sell shares, you could be selling principal of your investment, you know, but the growth and income of that portfolio is going to sustain you over time. Yep. Then what, you know, a lot of the data is happening. And then we had 1999, 2000, and then we had 2007, 2008, 2009. We had basically two, almost, you know, 50% uh, collapses in the stock market within a decade. And that threw that philosophy like totally out the window. Mm -hmm. So then really where the, where our industry went was this, basically in a high level is called flooring. And it's basically saying, hey, to that patient type A, you need $2,500 a month to meet your income need. Let's just guarantee that with some sort of income rider, variable annuity, you know, whatever, some sort of insurance product. Because pensions at that point were going away quickly. Right. Because of what happened in the market. And for yeah. whatever reason, they knew they could be more profitable without those. Right. So they went away with it. But people still needed that income, income. and they needed a guarantee to the income because they weren't ready to take their money and 50% of it be lost. Right. So that's why they went to that. Keep going. So. Totally. No, that's great. And Wall Street figured out that they could come in and strip out a pension by a company, get rid of the pension, and then sell it for parts. And so a lot of these pensions have just been been cashed out, unfortunately, by Wall Street. Uh, and, and nobody's talking about that, in our opinion. Uh, but, in, and I think the other thing you got to understand is like, when you go to a financial advisor, like if you go to an Edward Jones type company, and I'm not trying to bash them, but I'm, I'm trying to just show you that we're all taught a different way. And if you go to like a securities type firm, like a Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Edward Jones, they're wanting to solve retirement income from like a investment-based non-insurance product philosophy. Correct. So that would be like a systematic withdrawal. Uh, we'll get into bucketing here in a second. But where you don't need an income guarantee to make up that gap. 
Now, if you go to a different company that is insurance-based, like uh, Ameriprise, I would say, or Northwestern Mutual, Guardian, uh, some of these other uh, Thrivent, you know, they are going to try to sell you uh, an insurance-based securities product, like a variable annuity or something with an income rider, um, because that is how they make money. And I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. And so you got to understand, and it seems like a lot of the people we're meeting, you know, client-wise, they have a pension, like, a, I don't want an annuity, like it's a dirty word, or they're, oh, this would be great. I don't want to lose money, and they get it. And so I'm not saying one's bad or one's good. It's just they're different and you need to understand the way you're wired. And I would say the people who have, they're barely eking by into retirement for patient A mm-hmm. is the more income you may actually need to guarantee. Right. Because if the market does take a hit and all your accounts go down and you need a withdrawal of X amount of money, mm-hmm. man, you are going to draw dead. Right. And the earlier you take a negative in retirement, if you're there, that's the right. biggest like hit to your overall plan. Yeah. And I think what you're referencing, I think a lot of people have maybe heard it is, I think it was coined the retirement red zone. You know, it's the five years preceding retirement and the five years after retirement. If you're taking substantial losses and taking withdrawals and paying taxes and not putting new money in, it can have a, a substantial impact on your overall retirement plan. Yep. So the next one, we kind of talked about flooring. It's basically trying to guarantee that income gap we were talking about. Uh, The next one is bucketing. Bucketing is really, let's just say you have a million dollars in your 401k. Instead of looking that at one pot and living off of it, kind of like the systematic withdrawal approach, you know, kind of what the process or philosophy is, is viewing retirement. We've already established it could be a 30-year time span. Is breaking that up into five-year segments. And looking at what income needs you'll have in each of those five-year segments based on when your social security triggers, a pension triggers, you sell something, uh, how much the stock market goes up or down, uh, how old you are, all these different factors and saying, well, we only need a smaller amount for this first bucket and and kind of seeding that. Bucketing is actually really hard to explain without a visual aid. So it probably isn't the best for a podcast, but is breaking that pot of money up and then investing it into different risk tolerances to protect your income need over time. So let's talk through that a little bit because I think I can help clarify that. In our, in our example, we're saying 7,500. Mm-hmm. And we have 5,000 coming in from maybe both of their social securities. And let's say one of them has a pension. Sure. It's 5,000, but they need 7,500. Mm-hmm. So in this bucketing strategy, you would take 2,500 times 12, however many years we need that to be. So let's mm-hmm. say five years. Yep. And that would be in bucket number one. That would mm-hmm. be in very conservative, if not cash. Right. Because they need that for the next five years. Very limited downside. Yep. So when we go to bucket number two, that bucket number two, that money is for six to 10 years. Right. And so instead of multiplying 25, you know, 100, 2,500 yeah. times 12 times five, you might be able to put a little bit less in bucket number two because you have five years to grow that number. Yeah, we're not going to take any withdrawals out of bucket number two. Yep. And then keep doing it for bucket number three, number four, and number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you go out, you need to seed it less because you have more time for it to grow in the market. Yeah. And it also then puts, I would say, time and interest a little bit more on your side because for the longest bucket in 25 years, you don't need to touch it. You can be way more aggressive. Right. Because you can now take the ups and downs and the sideways 
longer. Right. Uh, and so to manage those, each one of those buckets is, is, yeah. is interesting. It's a, definitely a strategy that people are using. And the risk that we're trying to mitigate, and I think maybe we should do a little better job of talking about the risks of each one. The risk we're trying to mitigate is withdrawal risk. And in conventional financial planning, it's saying, especially with like more of a systematic withdrawal approach, it's saying you should really only take a 3% withdrawal rate out of your money if you want it to last 30 years. Well, if you have a million bucks and you're only taking out 3%, that's only 30 grand a year. But that's being taxed. Yeah. And that's, that's before taxes. And so if in this example, this is actually good that it works out this way. $2,500 a month is actually $30,000 a year. Yep. So in that, if you were taking that out off the million, but you haven't paid tax yet, like you probably don't have enough income. And so what we're saying is that the market goes down 30% and now you're at 700,000 instead of a million, but you still need to take the 30 out. Well, that withdrawal rate now is a much higher than 3% off mm-hmm. the 700. Mm-hmm. And so that's the risk we're trying to mitigate with the bucketing strategy. And I think that's going to be a shock to some people who hear that. If you have a million dollars in your 401k, you're a millionaire, but all you can take is $30,000 a year. Like, wait right. a second, that doesn't seem like it computes. Right. But. And that's, you know, that's what the data is showing us with the volatility that's taken place over the last 20 years. Yep. Um, and so then the last strategy really is a simple kind of rebalancing. I think it's kind of like a uh, hybrid approach between bucketing and between systematic withdrawal. It's saying, I don't need an income guarantee from an annuity product, but I don't want everything in, in the same portfolio. And if you look at like systematic withdrawal, you know, you typically, you know, had like a 60-40 split, stocks and bonds, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Mm-hmm. What this last simple rebalancing strategy is, is basically saying, hey, we're gonna have 60% in stocks, 30% in bonds, and maybe 10% in treasuries. The problem is the treasuries don't really pay anything anymore. I think like the two and the 10-year treasury are around 1.8, 1.9%. Not ideal for your money. Um, but anyways, it's basically saying, Hey, if we need that 30 grand a year gross or, you know, net, which, whichever, we're going to take that out of the bucket. That's not down, Mm -hmm. you know? So if stocks are up 25%, yeah, let's take our income out of the stocks. If stocks are down 20%, but bonds are up 10%, then let's take it out of our bond bucket. And if both stocks and bonds are down, then we're going to take our income out of the, you know, treasuries because there's no loss. And then at the end of that year, at a certain point, we're going to rebalance that portfolio back to, you know, 60, 30, 10 to replace the treasury cash to maybe put some more money into stocks because maybe stocks now are down to 55% mm-hmm. to take some of that money and rebalance it and invest into the, the low of the stock market going down. Mm-hmm. And so those are the four, I would say, main philosophies. I think the other one that I've heard in terms of just trying to go through all the ones that we've heard that I think you know, people are reading about is there, I would say is the fifth one of saying, I'm going to just invest in dividend paying stocks. I'm going to live off the dividends and interest. And then over time, the shares should appreciate. And that's, I think, kind of similar to a systematic withdrawal approach, because you're probably going to need more than the dividend rate. Uh, The average dividend rate on the S&P 500 is like 2%. Uh, You could build a portfolio that has four, five, six average percent, you know, yield, if you will. Um, but then you're taking more, you know, capital appreciation price risk uh, with that strategy as well. And I think it's, if you got lost there, sorry about that. But <laughs> yeah. here's the deal. There's, uh, there's philosophies out there, different right. ones. And I think it's important to go to somebody that understands all three or all five or all four, right. um, just so they can come at your plan with an objective lens 
and try to get the best one for you. Right. None of them are wrong. Right. And they all are valid in their own little area. Right. Uh, but what's right for you, that's where you got to really listen and, and pay attention and know the client. So definitely. All right. So now let's talk to the person that's uh, got a business on the side, got a, got a pension, social security. How does he engage in this approach? It's basically the same way. What's yeah. the best way? How much do we need? What's your budget? All those questions are the same. All the questions are basically the same. Although he has a different alternative asset that we get a pull into his overall plan. Right. And that might be something that eventually that rental property in this example might get too crazy or might be too much time or effort or whatever, uh, or he doesn't want his family or his family doesn't want anything to do with it. Right. Um, That can be an option or that can be just a data point that we need to talk through and and walk through. But normally there's going to be liquidation in that. There's going to be some cash at the end of the rainbow that we can then pull into kind of more patient A type. Right. Work. Um, Income portfolio. Income portfolio. So for sure. uh, And then I'd say just C, lastly, for that client that has all these other businesses and and income, this is kind of like every day for him. Right. (laughs) So yeah, he has some questions and yeah, he wants to hear about what else he needs to understand and like when to take social security so I can max that baby out. Right. But it's all a bonus anyway. I've been living like I've been living and it's been working. Right. Um, so, so maybe tax planning for that person, right. trying to be more efficient with how that. to sell their business and not get, give it all to the government. But back to our curb analogy, that person that's the third patient or the third client, he is already been doing this income thing. Mm-hmm. So really nothing changed. There is no curb for him to jump off. It's just right. like another, another birthday. You know? right. <laughs> and so... Anyway, it's fun to meet everybody where, wherever they're at and right. really help them uh, maximize their plan and where they're going. I want to speak to this patient type because I think we meet them a lot. I call them builders. It's people that have built up something, real estate portfolio, business. Um, they like to invest in different things. And these are not stocks and bonds, although they probably have some. But these are, these are complicated, more complicated things. And if you look at like Robert Kiyosaki with like Cashflow Quadrant, you know, and becoming like a business owner and moving towards an investor. These types of people that are builders, it sounds great. And they've made a ton of money and they like having control and they understand the risks they're taking. But a lot of times, I would say nine times out of 10, the spouse isn't. And so I think for this patient type, it's like, that's been great for you, but you're at some point not going to be here. And how are you going to button all that up for your spouse? And what's her plan going to be? And I'm not trying to generalize that these are always men because it could obviously be women. And the women could obviously be integrated in this too and comfortable with it. But large part, they're not. And and I think to boil that down is they don't have a beach that they're going to at some time. Where the when you're patient A, like you've been saving up for this, let's go to a beach. And there's like a different time of like lockdown. Well, C... They don't have that. They've been doing this the whole time. There is no like, well, when are we going to slow down? Right. Um, that's a really good point. So I think that's just something to keep in mind if you are patient C, kudos to you. But how are you going to leave and tie things up in a bow if something were to happen to you for your spouse? You know, so there's not a fire sale on your stuff or your assets. And, and then where's her income going to come from? And how are all these things going to fit together if you weren't there? Because it's a lot to handle. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and here's the deal. You also have a 
business sale. Like you could probably sell your business Mm -hmm. and you could do it on contract. You could do it for cash, whatever, you know, talk to accountant, talk to a CPA, but there might be a building that you also bought and you'll have rental income from that building that would allow you to pull off Mm -hmm. the actually hands-on things. Yeah. uh, Perhaps. And even to like the small business owner that owns like, uh, you know, an optometrist business or a dental practice, you know, you could sell that dental practice, but still own the building and have that building paid off. And then they're paying you rent for your building. So you still have some sort of that income and residual nature outside of investments. But then you're transitioning your, your practice money into, you know, retirement income money, Mm -hmm. you know, through more of these traditional vehicles. And might be smart to sign a lease, a long lease before you retire, <laughs> before you do that. So, yeah. okay. Uh, let's, what are four other factors that could affect retirement? I want to talk about those. Yeah. So we've got four, uh, just, and there's a lot, there's just a lot in retirement. And so, uh, but these are more technical things. So I want to go rather quickly. Uh, the first one is Medicare. Uh, obviously, you know, Medicare is the government um, kind of like health insurance um, plan. For, for everyone we've met and talked to, our clients, like they like Medicare. Medicare is great. I mean, I've really never heard anybody on Medicare complain about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to get the supplement and all of that. You have, there's some rules around signing up for Medicare at the right times. We are not specialists in that. Uh, we don't claim to be. We don't want to be. Uh, but we do have people we can refer you to if, you, if that's where you're at and though you haven't solved those questions. Um, so we have people that we know, I like, can trust that we can help you with, uh, connect you to, uh, but that's just not, not something that we kind of get into. Uh, but it is a decision point that you got to start preparing for, uh, what kind of medications are you on? What kind of health, um, you know, needs do you have, yeah. uh, as it relates to accessing the healthcare market? I would say the biggest thing for that is like, know what your current situation is. What drugs do you take? Mm-hmm. How many times do you go to the hospital on average? Mm-hmm. That stuff is all good for an expert right. to know because then they can get you in the perfect supplement package for your Medicare. Totally. The next one I think is, I call it the silent killer, is inflation. And this is, you know, one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, how much did a candy bar cost when you were a kid? I remember riding my bike and get 7-Eleven. I think it was 49 like, cents? Yeah, I was like 45 to 55 cents okay. when we were... When we were riding in on on our bikes or skateboards, you know, and now it's like, I feel like it's like a dollar 25 or a dollar 39, you know, and in in just two decades, well, probably three, but I'm sick of it. (laughs) So inflation is real. Uh, All of our money, you know, that the Fed prints is debt. All of that's why it's called a, you know, Federal Reserve note. And so our money supply has to increase because it's all debt based money. And so uh, as the money supply expands, it creates inflation because there's more money chasing uh, fewer goods. And so inflation is real. I think we all get it, but really nobody talks about it. And the other thing I would say is the federal government lies to us about what social or what inflation is because it's tied to Social Security, Medicare, uh, and these benefits, these social benefits that, that you're getting. And so it's just, we all know that inflation is higher than 2%. I mean, you go to the grocery store, it's higher than 2%. So it's something you got to keep in mind. Have a retirement plan that factors in inflation. Right. I'm just boiling these down. Boiling them down. Okay. Third. Oh, this is fun. Are we going to fees? Okay. We can do that. I mean, save the best for last. Okay. Fees. So fees, uh, we're hearing a lot from our clients is obviously, you know, we're in the business. uh, We run a business. 
and you know we get paid somewhat on your money, uh, and especially if you're rolling over or investing your money with us. And so fees are a huge deal, and I think people are really starting to get wise to like how much money advisors have been making. And so in our business is we're calling it like fee compression. Fees are going to come down across the board. Uh, and, and we're trying to do that in our practice where you're all in expense on, you know, retirement assets, you know, is, is one to less than 1% mm-hmm. annually. Um, and so that's how we're trying to shape our business. And so you got to understand there's really four layers of fees very quickly. You have like an investment manager fee. So the person that's actually picking and choosing the investments you're in, they have a fee to do that. The mechanism or tool they're using to invest your money, whether that's stocks, bonds, ETFs, or mutual funds, those have an internal expense or fee that you, it's not getting billed out of your account, but it's out of the net return of the product that you're in. And then from there, you have like a financial advisor fee. That's like, you know, if you're paying someone like Philip and I to do a plan uh, for us to help you open the accounts, that type of thing. So there's us. Just so valuable to pay that. (laughs) (laughs) And then the fourth layer of fee is like transaction charges or, you know, maintenance fees or, you know, that $50 a year IRA account maintenance fee. Barf. Um, So those are the general four layers of fees inside of, you know, your retirement accounts or your investments that you should be aware of. And um, you should be having, you know, open, easy conversations because it's all federally required now that we have to talk about and have that disclosed. Yep. So good. So last one matter. Are RMDs or required minimum distributions. Right. These are interesting to me because we get clients that come to us and they're so excited that they have a huge number in these, I'd say, accounts, retirement accounts. And they're so excited to say, we don't even need all this money. Right. And and that's good when you're 59 and a half to 70 and a half. Right. But after that, it it turns into a problem because of this the government haven't been taxed on any of that money. And so at 70 and a half, they start making you and forcing you to take some of that big account out. out. I just say it's like pushing your money off the ledge because they want taxed. It's kind of, since we're using Indiana Jones, it's like the scene when he's on the tank and they're headed over the cliff. That's kind of like your money's in that tank and the government's driving it over the cliff. Like they want you to take that money out and they're going to force you to do it. So there's an equation that, starts mm-hmm. and then that equation gets higher and higher the percentage rate that you have to start taking your money is higher and higher and so a lot of times people don't even know that they're on this train mm-hmm. and they're like what am i going to do with all this money like right well you you take it because if you don't do it you get penalized 50% of what you haven't taken out right. like it's a huge deal and people get blindsided with Oh my goodness! I kind of have a problem. Like, what do I do now? Like, okay, we can do Roth. We can do a Roth conversion. We can do some yeah. things, but for the most part, we got a problem. Yeah, and the the waterfall's coming. Hang right. on, for sure. And so, uh, I would say probably fifty percent of the people we talk to about retirement income like don't understand or have not fully grasped this RMD required minimum distribution um, requirement. So, totally agree. All right, so that's the four. I think my last synopsis on RMD is understand it. Yeah. And uh, maybe do the calculations and just see what that is for you. Yeah. Some people have no problem with it. Other people do. Definitely. Okay. Uh, and then my, the last one is just your legacy. Or or I would say maybe even long-term care. We can talk about that quickly. Yeah. Basically, you know, obviously we're trying to be sensitive to this issue. We're talking about the end stages of your life. And we call it graduating uh, because, you know, obviously we 
<laughs> believe in Jesus and we want to go to heaven and uh, hope, hope that, you know, you do too. And so in that, you know, you've got to have a plan. And when you look at like the two biggest risks in retirement, uh, you know, we talked about one being inflation. Uh, the other one kind of in this whole vein is really longevity is lasting 30 years, your money lasting 30 years. Uh, and then, you know, this one is long-term care and, you know, we're getting more and more people, you know, where mom's in the home or they're seeing those checks and it's like, wow, it's eight, nine grand a month for mom to be in this home. Like, how am I going to pay for that? What's it going to be yeah. when I'm her age? Like, yeah. holy cow. And so, you know, if you're spending eight to nine grand a month, you know, and you still have another spouse living in the house, well, now you kind of have two budgets, uh, you know? Point. And so it's like, how are we going to pay for all this? And where you may, you know, your folks or you may have only been taking out two or three, four grand a month, but now you need to take out 10 grand a month. Well, that can deplete your retirement savings rather quickly. And so having a strategy for that is super important Mm -hmm. because, and I think the other side of it is, I would say, we're trying to give you percentages because a lot of times people ask like, well, how am I doing compared to everybody else? Right. (laughs) So we get that a lot. So that's why I'm interjecting these, these points, but I would say, I don't know, 30 to 40%, mm-hmm. like actually think they want long-term care and like, I want that protection. And then like another 30% are like, I know I need it, but I really don't want to buy it. And then the other 30% are like, I'm not, you, you, you couldn't put dad. me in a home. It's my dad. I'll just yeah. go out and shovel really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Pick me up. And so again, not casting aspersion on anybody that, what camp you're in, but it is something you got to talk about and nobody wants to buy it. I mean, nobody wants to yeah, buy that's it. True. That's um, true. And, and so there are different products that you can buy that basically blend life insurance with long-term care insurance because the, the insurance industry basically mispriced traditional long-term care and really don't offer it that much anymore unless it's super expensive. Yeah. And, and further, your premiums can go up as you age, which is not helpful to your budget you know, when you feel like you're on a fixed income. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the new products are built on life insurance uh, chassis, if you will, uh, because the insurance is very good at um, actuarially predicting um, mortality. And so a lot of it, you know, we can guarantee the premium, we can guarantee the benefit, uh, we can use the G word in terms of guarantee because these are insurance products that are backed by, uh, you know, insurance companies. And so anyways, we can combine you know, life insurance with long-term care insurance and give you access to the cash value, which, you know, means that your premium is converting into a cash value that you can access if you still need the money. Mm-hmm. When you look at it that way, it's kind of like just a forced savings account. As you age, you're going to naturally want to sit on cash more than you do now uh, as you get, you know, into your 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that policy will grow with you. Uh, but it does take a shift in mindset to think about it that way. Um, and so that's kind of how we handle that. Yep. Uh, the last thing I'd say just in retirement, and maybe this is a whole nother podcast, but it just will be, your yeah, legacy, sure. it's your legacy on what you want to live, like leave behind. And all I will say with this, if we're just going to try to boil this down is you have way more than your money that you're going to leave behind transfer to your next generation. I would say you have almost four categories. You mm-hmm. have your core values, the things that make you tick, right? The things that got you there. I'd say your good and bad experiences, mm-hmm. the things that like were really good in your life and the things that actually didn't go well mm-hmm. have given you, you know, the character you, ha- you are today. Um, and then you have like how you spend your money, 
uh, giving to others, charitable giving and stuff yeah. like that. There's the contribution to society. Yep. And then the fourth one is money. And if you only had three to give to the next generation, which three would you focus on? And a lot of our clients say, I'd rather focus on my core values, my good and bad mm-hmm. experiences and the way that I've uh, lived charitably to other people. And I, I probably wouldn't be transferring my money, right. which is the right answer. So then if those, if those people think that way, then let's use your money to try to transfer all of those three. And when we do that and do it right, I feel like there's way more money to be had to be transferred. Mm-hmm. And then they know exactly that it's going to be used well. And those people are going to do the same thing for the next generation. It's more the Rockefeller plan mm-hmm. um, than somebody who just transfers wealth and puts it in the will. Man, that's going to be gone within two generations, if, mm-hmm. if not one. Right. <laughs> Poof, gone. And so legacy is a big thing. And it's something that you get to talk about in retirement because chances are you're going to have wealth to be transferring on financially, but mm-hmm. you also have wealth right now, even if you don't give them a dime or nickel by giving them your core values yeah. and your experiences and your charitable gifts. So that's what I'll, I'll say about that. I felt like we did pretty good on the time. I felt like we did too. I'm actually kind of surprised. I think the only the other thing I would add about legacy is it's already started. Totally. I think there's this myth that like, oh, I'll be different later. And like, I'll tie my legacy up in a bow later in my life. And it's just not true. Uh, So I would just challenge everybody, you know, we're shooting this around the holiday season. Uh, It's going to air, you know, first part of 2020. But really think about this next decade of like, what do I want to do with my family? What is my legacy currently? And how do I want to change that as I move forward? Um, Because it's already started. If this is something that's exciting to you, we do have an ebook on this topic to kind of retirement income. Yeah. Yep. To Yeah, good point. Retirement income to kind of digest what we have talked about in a little bit more condensed version. Uh, if you want to go to that website, yeah. uh, it would be our free download for our listeners. Uh, it's only a gift for you guys. Uh, go ahead with the URL. Yeah, it's uh, www.uncommonwealth.com backslash gifts. So if you want the free download, we have a, it's actually probably our biggest ebook to date. And we're going to have a retirement uh, checklist in there as well. So we're getting lots of feedback from folks uh, preparing to retire in retirement. And so we're trying to bundle all that up into uh, a fun document that you, you know, can be useful. Awesome. Well, thanks again for tuning in. This was a lot of content. So a lot. We just fire hosed you. Fire hosed you. Hey, well, thanks for listening. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. And you've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. Thanks for listening. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.